Welcome to the Homeschool Together podcast. Where one working mom and a stay-at-home dad help you navigate the nuts and bolts of the growing and dynamic world of homeschooling. With a focus on early learners. Like me! All the ins and outs of building and maintaining your homeschool life. Homeschool! Find out tips and tricks to make things like this easier. I'm reading! And ultimately, enjoy educating your kids. And what's that last thing? Have fun together! Did I do good, Daddy? (laughs) Yeah, you did, sweetie. Good job. Hello and welcome to Homeschool Together. Thanks so much for joining us. We're going to have a lot of links with the interview today down below. Make sure you take a time to do that. Check that out. Also check out our Gumroad page with our Build Your Library and Torchlight combination. All of our YouTube videos that we've put out on our, on our YouTube. If you guys are thinking about doing that and going around the world, we have those resource guides there as well for you guys. Um, if you have a chance. Please subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. So we, we think there's some black box voodoo thing with subscriptions. So if you're sitting there and going, hey, these guys are really cool. I downloaded 20 of their podcasts. Thank <laughs> you so much. We appreciate it. Errol and I very much appreciate it. But also Thank you. hit the subscribe button because I think that's where we move up the rankings. And please leave us a review on iTunes. Yes, I know that's something that we ask for every week, but we really love uh, getting your feedback. And, yeah. you know, leave, and leave comments on our YouTube channel. We love listening to you guys. We do. We comments. love responding. And we're yep. here to help. So if there's something that you have a specific question about or that we've done or talked about, or you're there's just having a struggle in your homeschool and you want to reach out, you know, we'd love to help if we can. So we're here for for you to support you. Ariel, I, I've opened up an Excel sheet. <clears throat> I'd like to go around the world and become a world schooler. Right. We've and, been talking about this the last hour last after we hour. finished our interview with Allison yep. uh, from worldtravelfamily.com. So Maybe she's we got... we don't go around the world, but I'd at least like to see every state in the U- U.S. We have dreams. We have, we have dreams. dreams. Small dreams. We we spoke with Allison just a little while ago. She's based in Australia, and it was so fun to talk to her. Mm-hmm. She and her family traveled around the world for six or seven years. Oh, yeah, maybe even longer than that. I, 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 thought, I thought it was yeah, like six, six or seven, seven years, years yeah, before the yeah. pandemic, and... Uh, she just had a wealth of information. She got both of us just thinking about like, wow, you know, how do do you, how, how could you, you know, travel and, and see all these great places and and have your kids have these experiences. Yeah. Yeah, And homeschool during it. And it was amazing. And her site is awesome. Um, you will definitely lose hours on her site. It's really great. It's, it's not only about how to travel, how to travel frugally, how to travel with kids, homeschool those kids while you're traveling, but what to do in these different locations. Mm-hmm. They've been all over the world and had some just incredible adventures. I, I, I'm just like, I think about like what her kids must be able to say now that they're, <laughs> you know, teens, you know, as they reach into their uh, adulthood and, and the stories that they adults, can yeah. tell, right, yeah. about like all the places that they've been the things that they have seen, mm-hmm. you know, they've been to the base camp at Everest, right? Like who can say that, um, you know, when you're, you're in your teens that you did, you've done that. So I think that that's a pretty amazing thing. And, um, I oh, love yeah. hearing from her firsthand. Well, and she, she's very, she's wonderful. She, a million words a minute, tons of information. Oh my gosh. There's so much here. I want to sh- like listen to this again after you I edit know. it. Um, <laughs> just because I want to hear all well, it, of a ton of stories, you know, the things again, living in Romania for a couple of years, oh, man, you know, using home so bases cool. and I mean, just going to Anchor Wat, yeah, I know, staying in Vietnam and then going to the U S driving across the U S going to the UK. It's just 
she talked a lot of a lot of great experiences, a lot of great um, stories, and and a lot of like what it, what it took for her and her family to be able to make that leap, and and you know hopefully that can inspire you. I know we've done back to back road schooling and then a little bit of world schooling. Yeah, um, really trying to inspire you guys as we get into the school year to to second guess yourself and maybe get turn 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 around and get that old VW bus and 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 hit the road and, and go. Yeah, and or go grab travel. your airline tickets. Or, you know, get yourself prepared for next summer when you guys want to go and see all the great national parks or go, you know, see the fall uh, uh, foliage in, in, in Vermont or New Hampshire. Yes, and, or go visit Thailand. Or go visit Thailand. And I mean, there it's could, all there. <laughs> you know, at one point she talks about her kids being really into ancient civilizations yeah. and wanting to go to Greece and then to, they went to Egypt so they could see that. And I'm like, our daughter's head would explode if she we told her, explode. like, we could go and just see the pyramids. She, she's been asking us since she was five yeah, when we can go to Egypt to see the pyramids. And it, you know, for, for us, um, it just seems so una, unobtainable to travel like that. I'm on that kind of scale. And, and mm-hmm. how do you leave things behind? And even for a short trip, how do you make that all work? I love talking with Allison because everything she talked about made it sound so accessible. It did. I mean, obviously there is the time to do it mm-hmm. and the money, money. to do it, yeah. but she's got lots of great tips on her site about how to do things frugally. And just when you kind of pare it down and think about what you really need, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not as much as you think. It was really great. It, it definitely opened my eyes yep. to maybe how we could... Maybe we get our kids uh, some world travel experience, and and those put away our trip to Spain, Ariel. Forget about that. that well, she was only a year flight. and a half, so she it was really that trip was for us. Was a, she yeah. was just a toddler tag along, um, but to, for them to have these experiences, to learn about something, yeah. and then to go to this place yeah. and and have these just rich you know, cultural connections, I just think is amazing. So we we love talking with Allison. We hope that you enjoy her interview. It was absolutely fantastic um and hopefully it gives you a little bit of the travel bug and you think about where you can go with your family next so here we are with allison hi allison thanks so much for joining us we're so happy to have you hello it's nice to be here so can you give us and our listeners a little bit of background about you and your family and what drove you all to start homeschooling Okay, so my name's Alison, and I'm married to my husband who is australian i'm actually from wales originally Um, We have two boys and we've homeschooled mostly throughout most of their school years. My youngest son has never been to school at all. My eldest son went to school very briefly when, you know, year one, uh, some of year two, I think that was when we pulled him out. Uh, And then we decided to take them traveling. So we took them traveling for six, seven years. And then because of the, the... pandemic and the lockdowns and all that we ended up coming back to Australia where we originally owned a home before we left Uh, and we had to finish off their education here from bricks and mortar because obviously we just couldn't go anywhere Australia's borders were closed so what we did at that point was we enrolled them in an online school because the legalities in Australia it, it was all just very complex so we enrolled them in an online school for the last two years of maybe three years of their formal education and now we're done they finished education is officially over so we went from in school very briefly to homeschooling to unschooling to world schooling then to an online school and we've now wrapped it all up we finished wow you run the gamut so what was it originally that that drew your family to start homeschooling with your with your boys 
Well, honestly, I never really wanted to send him to school. I didn't want him to go to daycare, most certainly. I, I wanted to raise my kids myself. Um, but when you you start going to the playgroups with the other mums and you, they, they, you make friends with them and their kids and their kids are going to school and you think, well, they should go with this little peer group that they've established. And, you know, my friends are doing this. I should do this. And honestly, peer pressure made me put mm. the elder one in school. Uh, I was never particularly happy with that arrangement. I, did, I hated it. I didn't like him not being home. I remember bursting into tears a few times. He, he kind of adapted okay. He settled in. He wasn't particularly unhappy. But it wasn't it wasn't working as well as you would have hoped. It wasn't – I couldn't see that he was getting much out of it. It was mm. – he wasn't really learning much. He wasn't particularly having a great time. He was okay, but I think he would have rather – been at home um my younger son was obviously still at home at that point and we were having fun you know myself and the little one and we wanted him with us and I, all through this time I was thinking should I homeschool should I homeschool because I always kind of wanted to but never had the courage and then I think something happened in school that upset me and I just marched in one day and pulled him out and we took it from there so as most people do, I started very school at home. We we're going to sit at the kitchen table and do times tables and all the, <laughs> you know, the, the formal homeschooling, which uh, turned out to be a complete non-starter. We learned yeah. that very fast. And then we just we just found our way over the years. Obviously, I've done this for a lot of years. Yeah. You know, he towers mm-hmm. above me now. Uh, so along the way, you, you you find what works for the different ages. Different things suit different types of children and different ages of children. And you just you just find your way. But what certainly struck me was how much he flourished once I pulled him out of school mm-hmm. in terms of learning and himself and his confidence and his happiness. You know, I'd had my little boy back rather than this fairly sort of stressed. He wasn't unhappy, but he was kind of stressed and just wasn't himself, you know, mm-hmm. and being forced to have to do that homework in the evenings. So that meant our, our family time in the evenings was stressed because he didn't want to read those graded readers. So, yeah. yeah, it was just everyone was happier once we started. So we stuck with it and then we took it on the road. So when you said that you when you guys were in, in the UK, um, in the US, we have kind of a patchwork quilt of regulations and rules around homeschooling. I think you're one of the first people we've talked with outside of the US. Um, what were the legal implications of homeschooling in the UK? Maybe talk a little bit about like. Is it the same? I mean, what did you have to go through to, you know, start homeschooling? Well, we actually started in Australia. Oh, okay. I'll tell Australia, you about okay. the UK. This was all in Australia. We moved to Australia when the boys were, I think, two, two, three, four, something like that. Okay. In the UK, the regulations are fantastic. There basically is no regulation. There's no <laughs> registration. There's no assessment. There's no wow. nothing, basically. You just, the default is that the parent educates their child. And if mm. the parent wishes to, they can outsource that education to a school. And that's actually the same way in Australia. A lot of people don't realise that. In Australia, it's much more regulated, but it goes state by state. The, some states are harder than others. We were in Queensland. It's actually one of the easier states. So we had to apply. Um, I had to send, send off a letter asking if I could homeschool along with some sort of learning plan. Um, I was approved. Most people are approved. And then at the end of each year, you have to submit some work samples and sort of a document of summing up what you've done that year and what they're actually trying to assess. They're not assessing the child and the child's attainments. They're assessing you as an educator to see if you're recognizing what 
what you could do to help the child better or where you should be going. And they're checking that you've actually read, you're supposed to adhere to the state national curriculum. They want you to show that you know what's in that and that you have um, a pathway that will ensure that that child will basically do what the kids in school do. So there's, there's leeway in that you can do a lot of other stuff as well, but they want you pretty much to adhere to the, um, the local curriculum. Um, was that was that yeah was that local curriculum something that they gave to you and you just followed and you bought the books and you did everything or oh no it... no 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 okay no sorry no you just look it up online the the, okay. the school curriculum it's not it's not um, learning materials it's not worksheets okay. or things to read it's like a progression of learning it's what um, standards yeah just like a standard yeah yeah it's it's outcomes and um, oh, it's, it's so long since I've read one of these it's written in teacherese. Yeah, it's quite difficult that. to understand. But I was lucky in that I did have a lot of friends at that time who were teachers and who were homeschooling their own children. That's incredibly common here. And we had an online group where we could all sort of bounce ideas off each other and pick each other's brains and translate this. And we found all the best ways to get around all this paperwork and do it so that we would be approved, so that everything would look fantastic and we'd have no issues. And th- those groups are actually great. If, if you're new to this... Mm-hmm. Um, it's fantastic. You can get all this help and advice from people who've done it for years, many of whom are teachers, um, and understand the language because it's very complex. But the the actual curriculum itself, when you look at it online, you see how little um, in terms of things that the kids learn in each term or each year, how actually little there is. And you can bash that out in a day or two if you have to. You know, I'm sure you found the same. Yeah, yeah, it, um, it, it sounds actually very similar to what what we encounter on a daily basis. So, you yeah. know, when you when you started doing that homeschooling in Australia, um, and you looked at the standards and everything, did you end up going and researching curriculum and workbooks and things of that nature? Like, no. what was you didn't do? You didn't do any of that. Not, not really. I okay. I read all this online documentation about what was actually going to be how the schools were going to work. And it's not just what they're going to learn, it's personal development as well. Um, so like the first term, I remember, the first term of year two or whatever it was, the whole term was taken up with what is a family, which is not, you know, I can cover that in half an hour. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all, all different types of family. Yeah. Yeah, it was in one. Not in a schoolroom. Well, I, I don't actually see any families happening there, but, you know. Um, no, I bought a few uh, books things like maths books, the workbooks that actually were the same ones that the kids used in school. Uh, We can buy those easily at the shops here. Uh, We used some of those to start with, and then we progressed to various online programs. There there was uh, Reading Eggs, Study Ladder, Khan Academy, XNL Maths, something like that. There's all sorts Mm -hmm. of these online different learning programs that we used, and we could dip in and out of depending on what sort of mood everyone was in and what we felt like doing today and what we were struggling with and what was what was interesting so it was all that sort of stuff so for those first two years when we were still in Australia and we were having to do all these reports and learning plans and so on yes we did we had to pay attention to that we really had to because otherwise there's no way I could do the paperwork and the paperwork would take me oh it would take a month out of my life each (laughs) each time particularly by the time I had two of them in the system, it would be a month of writing up reports and trying to get the kids to make some sort of written work that I could submit. You had to do two samples in three subjects, a before and an after. And then I, as the educator, had to show that I knew where the child had improved or where they needed more help. So it was very 
you kind of had to make the work to suit what they wanted, if you know what I mean. You, yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. And we found ways to do that. And we're all, all the mums are asking each other questions. How can I make this work? How, how can I use Lego to demonstrate this? You know, <laughs> things like that. We all, we all got through it. Mm. So, so when you started homeschooling, um, you know, were you, did you have some educational experience or was this something new? And did you have any, you know, was it a challenge to become an educator, you know, to no. your children? Okay. I mean, I've got a degree in um, biological sciences and half a master's. And uh, it, I mean, you know, no, it's very, very easy, low standard stuff. I mean, I started when uh, my eldest son um, was starting to do biology A-level Mm-hmm. And biology is my subject, obviously. And I was starting to really scratch my head at some of that. I just couldn't remember a lot of it. But no, the basic stuff at the beginning, it's so straightforward. Some of the maths that um, they did as they got older. At one point, we had um, my younger son. They both did maths online for the last two years. And some of the maths I'd never seen before. It wasn't on the curriculum when I was at school. And also some of the things they learnt in English and English Lit. It was in the way that they structure paragraphs and the way that they're required to answer questions. Um, that wasn't taught when I was at school and it's very formulaic just to pass an exam. I'd never come across most of this stuff. You've probably come across peel paragraphs and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> um, I'd never come across it before. I think it's not something you would ever use in real life. I make a living as a writer and I would never use it. <laughs> and I remember watching his English teacher one day, but the topic on the one day was how do you write a blog post? And I'm just sitting there, like we're both <laughs> laughing in hysterics because she had no clue. And at one point he actually said, my mum's a professional blogger. And she was like, oh, oh, <laughs> she had no idea. You know, I make a living doing this stuff. And she was yeah. required to teach a child something that she had no actual knowledge of which just wow. makes a mockery of everything it, it i mean she's lovely i'm still in touch with her she's a lovely woman but she didn't she didn't know how to teach that it was it was ridiculous <laughs> but yeah certain things no i did not know some maths and some weird stuff they use in english exams to um get better to get full marks you have to do it in this particular way which i would never use it's not something people really use in the real world there wow. you go so transitioning from homeschooling you guys then you know, embarked on this grand journey around the world, the world schooling. Can you talk a little bit about like what that is and what you guys started yeah. doing? Um, well, we were, as I said before, at this point we were in Australia and I think we'd been homeschooling the boys probably about two years and we'd found, we'd found our groove. We could see how it was working and not working. And the biggest thing I could see was that they were learning from what was around them, be that, standing in the rainforest, um, being out on the Great Barrier Reef, talking to people, what they watched on TV, what books they were reading. They were learning from that, not what I was wanting them to learn from any sort of text or lesson, or which I wasn't giving them anyway. Um, most of their learning, I find, for me, has come through conversation. So the more time I can spend with them without any distractions, the better. And that... I. We, at one point, we took the boys to Everest Base Camp. So we had three weeks of walking and talking. And the amount of learning that goes on when you just talk to a child for three weeks with no no phones, no washing up, it, that's, that's when the real learning happens, I think. And also through experiences and seeing things. And we could see this was what they were learning because we, we live in a very isolated spot. As I said, we're, we're on the Great Barrier Reef, but we are very, very isolated. Our nearest very, very small museum is probably... About six hours away, wow. you know, and I'm, I'm a Londoner. I'm a Londoner. And I, I was 
pining for the Natural History Museum, the Science Museum, the V&A, all the historic stuff in London. I was just pining for that. I wanted to take mm-hmm. my kids there. So I did take them there. We, we popped off, just the boys and myself. We actually went without my husband, went back to London, took them to all the fantastic stuff I wanted to show them in London, showed them around Wales, you know, my home, their ancestral home. And then we actually popped over to the States and I took them to Disney because Disney's a fantastic learning opportunity as well. So we did that and we had just such a fabulous time. Um, we got back and we were like, we don't want to stay here. We want to, we want to hit the road. And at this point, uh, my husband was at the top of the tree. He was um, executive chef at a resort here. There was nowhere higher he could go. Uh, our house was full of furniture that we bought with us from the UK that was getting pretty old and we were thinking about replacing it. And there was, we, we had nothing, no reason to stay there. There was nothing holding us back. There was no career obligations. There was no, um, oh, we really love this house. We didn't. Uh, we had no close family or friends because we were new in town still. We'd only been there a few years. There was nothing holding us there. And my husband and I had previously, when we were younger, before we were married, we'd done a 12-month RTW, around the world trip, just mm-hmm. the two of us. Uh, so we knew what it was like. We knew the lifestyle. We knew how much we could cram in. We knew what it would cost. We knew exactly what to expect in terms of um, accommodation, getting around, and we knew that we could do it with the kids and we knew that the kids would get loads out of it because I know I knew how much they'd gotten out of just seeing London and Orlando, etc. Yeah, so we, 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 we liked the idea of the freedom. We liked the idea of spending more time together as a family because I've just said my husband was a chef. Do you know how horrendous chef's hours are? Oh, yeah. It was dreadful. Yes, yes. Um, uh, his, his mother was a chef. My, my mom was. Yeah. And, and his sister, so because, we know. Yeah, you know it then. Because he was um, at a big resort hotel, he, he'd work Christmas Day every year. And that's no fun with little kids. It's, mm. it's dreadful, actually. It's really shocking that people expect workers to do that. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we had no love lost for his career. Yeah, we wanted to spend more time together. We wanted to show the kids the world. We wanted them to see stuff firsthand rather than learning it from a book. Uh, we wanted to have more fun. And we knew that educationally, we thought it was going to be the best thing for them educationally in terms of academic education and also in terms of personal development. You know, they, they, they're going to do some really cool stuff, push themselves. There's going to be some big challenges. And yeah, that was our decision made. So we sold a lot of stuff, um, like the furniture that we no longer needed. Uh, we put a lot of stuff in storage in the loft, just personal items some clothes, etc., my husband quit his job, sold the car, and we just left. I, I got a one-way ticket to Kuala Lumpur, just the boys and I at first, because my husband had to stay at home just to get rid of the last few bits and pieces. The car went at the last minute, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So the boys and I left. We went to Kuala Lumpur. We had a little bit of time there. Then we went up to Bangkok, and my husband joined us in Bangkok. And I still remember we were sitting on the Kaosan Road having dinner and my husband comes along with his backpack and a big grin on his face, you know, really happy to be on the road with us finally, you know, freedom. But yeah, it was fantastic. So we just we just travelled around. We made it up as we went along. We, we never had any plan that we were going to go to any particular set place at a particular set time. We just sort of went wherever suited us. And, well, that carried on for about seven years <laughs> wow did, did you did you start with a plan like did you say okay this is just going to go for like six months maybe a year and then well just kind of no on. okay well we only had we, we, we saved with the first month we funded on savings and we thought we had enough money for probably two years if we stayed in southeast asia because it's really cheap 
But we only stayed probably about eight months in Southeast Asia. And then we flew to the UK because my mum was sick. And we we went to the UK, spent a lot of money in the UK because the UK is really expensive. And then we got on a cruise ship from Southampton to New York, which is actually cheaper than flying. And you get 10 days of free food and accommodation. Mm. Uh, So then we did a massive road trip from Canada to the Keys, which was cool. It was awesome. Uh, And then we hopped down to El Salvador and Guatemala. And then we got on a cruise ship from Florida, Fort Lauderdale, back to Barcelona. So you can imagine at this point that we had spent slightly more than we would have done in Southeast Asia. (laughs) (laughs) So we actually actually ran out of the savings within the first year. So then we based ourselves in London for about, I think it was about 10 months. Um, My husband managed to get uh, temping work as a chef in the city he racked up loads of savings that way. I worked really hard on the website. By that point, the website was earning. And after that year, really, the website just grew and grew and grew. Mm-hmm. And financially, we were fine. We could just continue. We could have continued forever had it not been for what happened in 2020 when the whole world came tumbling down on our heads. <laughs> but yeah. So when you when you first set out, you, you talked about all of these advantages of your boys getting this this just truly global cultural experience, learning in person instead of reading about it. What other disadvantages did you weigh when you were thinking about, you know, this is uh, uprooting them or, you know, was there anything that gave you pause about, about starting this journey? Not even one tiny thing, to be honest, not nothing. No, we, we had no roots at all where we were because we hadn't been there very long. So all I saw in terms of family and friends was positive because we could go home to the UK and they could see their grandparents and all my friends and so on. Um, no, nothing. I, I just thought it would be really, really good for them because we were in an isolated small town with a very small population, uh, a climate that we were just talk, talking before. It is always hot here. They've never seen snow or frost or winter or, you know, I thought it'd be really good for them to experience other ways of living Um you know, just the whole world. I mean, it's beautiful here, but it is very limited. And we're just a long way from everything. Really, really long way. So yeah, only positives, absolutely only positives. The only thing that was a worry was money. Were we going to be able to finance it? We did very well with the saving. So that was a big relief that we actually pulled that off very, very well. We saved in 12 months, we saved enough to that we thought was going to last us two years. Um, we sold a lot of stuff. Uh, <laughs> absolutely yeah no um just a quick question about you know you're doing the homeschooling and you were talking about how you know challenging it was to maintain the standards or the reporting for the you know the australia regulations all of a sudden now you're leaving the country mm. was there any tether to australia that you had to continue to reporting or are you just saying i don't exist you don't know who i am you know, well, it, it was funny because I kind of thought that because I was registered, I would continue to be registered in Australia. So I, I remember emailing them one day saying, um, is it okay if I submit my report by email? Because obviously it's difficult for me to post it because I'm in India. And they said, why are you doing it? Why are you doing it from India? And they said, well, no, you can't be registered in Australia if you're not in Australia. So that came as a surprise to me. Okay. So from that point, I was like, well, we're not Australian anymore. We're British. I mean, we've all got British passports anyway. So we just reverted to being British. And if you're in a country as a tourist, not a resident, the local laws don't apply to you. So I was just British the whole time. And we actually switched formally to the British curriculum, not in a strict way, but 
in the way that we were, if we were to sit exams, we were going to sit the British exams, which we eventually did. Uh, the British curriculum is very diff- different to the Australian curriculum. Obviously, different, just different subjects. Things like maths will be fairly similar. But if you look at a subject like history, the, the topics taught are completely different. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we went towards the, the British side. Okay. Um, no, yeah, I was free of Australia the moment we left, which I didn't even realize. But yeah, that, they told that, me they told me I was. Yeah. Well, that was a big question. Like I was wondering, like once you get it, you know, kind of this international individual, like you know, where where do you get tethered to? And because we know a lot of times with homeschooling, the the biggest thing that we always, you know, a lot of people worry about outside of you know educating our children, socialization, all that stuff, is you know what rules do we have to follow? And, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like when you get when you become you know. And we're waiting to interview. We, we joked we want to interview our space schooler, and we can't wait. Maybe next twenty years or something. <laughs> you know, what international rules do you adhere to to homeschooling in Mars? You know, yeah, local, <laughs> you know, local. Of, yeah, local <laughs> rules, local rules. Um, so okay, so you you guys have sold everything. Yeah, uh, not everything. Out. We didn't sell the house. Yeah, the yeah, car, food. the car, but everything. Yeah, all, yeah. all your all your all all the things, and you guys head out. Okay, so now you're doing schooling on the road. What does that look like? When you're going from Kuala Lumpur to Bangkok to India and you're into the States, you know, are you, you got a bag, you got your homeschool bag that you take with yeah. us. How, how do you downsize your gear? Yeah. <laughs> um, we're very relaxed, shall we say. Cool. Um, it depends what you're doing. You know, if, if you're very actively traveling around, so say, for instance, uh, we're on a whistletop st- tour of India, staying, traveling by train, staying one or two nights here and there, you haven't got time to do much. It, and there's no need to do much because look what they look what the kids are doing. Look what they're you know absorbing around them. Um, if we're in one place for an extended period, so for instance that period when we were in Kuala Lumpur and it was just the three of us, we did do a lot of sightseeing. Uh, because my husband wasn't there, there was also a lot of time when we just stayed in the hotel, just the three of us. And what we did have in our backpacks was of course computers. So we had all those online programs we'd previously be using. And I always tried to have one or two workbooks each for the kids. So it might be a science workbook, but in a science workbook, you've got to write sentences and you've got to do spelling, you've got to do handwriting and there's some maths. So one workbook can cover a multitude of different things if you just want the kids to do something academic Mm -hmm. on that day, just to keep them busy. Or we might just do buy book of crosswords or puzzles of some sort, word searches. They liked word searches. Uh, we never did journaling. Everyone says, oh, you must do journaling. My kids hated journaling. They would not journal. They had no interest. Just didn't see the point. Didn't want to do it. Tried it. No, just was never going to happen. So journaling was not ever going to be a thing. Even with their um, mom as, even with their mom as a blogger, they, they just never collect. They, well, no interest. They, they, they never liked writing. They never liked okay. holding a pen or pencil. When um, my younger one, I think we were in Guatemala and we were, we were actually in Antigua, Guatemala for a month in one place. So we actually had that quiet time where we actually did a fair amount. We're in Guatemala. I think he must have been about eight. Mm -hmm. And I set him up with his own website and he could make his own blog post. And he actually got quite into that. And he was writing about the different animals we'd seen and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But he, he actually couldn't really formally read and write at that stage. He had to have a lot of help. But what he really loved was seeing the number of visitors that had been to his page and seeing his (laughs) comments. Of course, everyone was supporting him because he's a little kid. Yeah, sure. He loved that the feedback and seeing the numbers go up. And he was really motivated by that. He's really motivated. He, he does YouTube today. He is still really motivated by getting that numerical following thing happening, you know? Yeah. He mm-hmm. loves that. 
that's that's just you know you've got to find their currency and that was his he also loves money he loves he's going to be rich he's going to be another rich person <laughs> right, whereas my other son was a reader he always had his nose okay. in a book and he so when you're on a long train ride flight bus ride whatever he had his nose in a book and he read and he read and he read mm-hmm. and that's where a big chunk of his literacy came from he read a lot of historical stuff he's really really interested in ancient history um Rick Reardon, I'm sure you know Rick Reardon. I love that man for writing those books. Fantastic. Yep. And then he got on to the classical Greek um, literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, he loved that. We, he he requested that we went to Greece to see all these ancient sites. He was our tour guide. He's like, we've got to go there. That's where. Heracles <laughs> and he knows all this stuff. And then he requested that we go to Egypt to see all the ancient sites. We had a month there. And that's that's his jam. Whereas my other son is more, he really, really digs the YouTubing. I'm sure that's the direction he's going to go in. Um, he was a little bit more difficult to please in many ways, but mm-hmm. as long as you feed them well and allow them plenty of ice cream and theme parks, they, you know, they're, more than, they're more than happy to do anything, really. And cooking, we always did cooking, cooking classes. They both love cooking classes. So they've done cooking classes probably in about, I don't know, 10 countries. <laughs> Uh, they'll, they'll cook you they'll cook you anything they're fantastic so, um, so did, did the did, was there a kind of an interest in food from your husband who you know as you guys are going around the world did his experience as a chef kind of influence how you guys navigated the world because a lot of times it's seeing things but also you know when you go around the world you know Errol and I have done some traveling and it, you know, it's really just the tasting the world is really yeah. a, a fun thing to do and did that play into when you guys were traveling I don't think my husband is more of a foodie than I am, just because okay. he's a chef. <laughs> when 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 you say chef, people assume that you're all about creating dishes. A chef is actually more of a manager mm-hmm. and um, the head chef, not in a restaurant, possibly if you had your own restaurant, different, but he was a hotel chef. It's management, it's mm-hmm. um, rosters, it's food costs, it's creating a menu that will make a profit uh, it's more all that stuff. I mean, he loves his food. We all love our food. But as a chef, no, I don't think that really had much play on it. Our whole family's interest in food, other than I think the boys have never had any idea that cooking was a woman's job. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's ever entered their psyche in any way. Uh, so, my, you know, my father's generation, my father never cooked at all. Whereas <laughs> my my boys, have they, they cook. My son makes bread. Um which is crazy. <laughs> so. so as you're as you're traveling, you said your your son was influencing. We want to go to Greece. I want to go to Egypt to study these things. Is is was that part of the calculus of how you decided where you were going to go next, and then and then folded in homeschooling with it, or did you like have a family meeting? Like, okay, where, where are we going, and when are we leaving? Like, how do you? I feel like when the when the world is open to you, there's so many possibilities. How do you decide how long to stay, where to go, what to do? Yeah. I would be just paralyzed by choice yeah yeah that's my problem I get paralyzed by choice and I'm terrible at making decisions which is why I have my husband because he's very good at it um <laughs> the kids when the kids are little when they're like we left here Australia when they were six and eight at that point if I'd have said to them where do you want to go kids they would have had no clue because they had no idea of where anywhere was like other than where they'd been already which was London Australia they'd been to Thailand and a few places in Europe and America mm-hmm. They would have had. They wouldn't have been able to say, oh, "I want to go to China," because they really had no concept of China. And this is another thing I find a bit frustrating with some people that, "Oh, you must get the kids in in the planning process." The kids have got no clue until they've experienced something of that place for themselves, be it through 
reading or a movie or a story or they must have de- they have to develop some sort of interest and then you've got the other um constraints or parameters or whatever of how much is it going to cost to get there how actually actually feasible is it to travel around that country on a fairly tight budget at the beginning that got higher how easy is it to get visas um how close are we to that country at the moment what time of year is it in that country is that country having a civil war at the moment you know <laughs> Do we have the correct vaccinations to get across the border? All these things the kids really have no concept of. But what what we sort of drifted into was we just go wherever was convenient. I mean, my husband and I had a, a sort of checklist of places we wanted them to see. So obviously we wanted them to see, say, Angkor Wat, um, the Grand Palace in Bangkok, um, Sri Lanka. We're very fond of Sri Lanka, very fond of Vietnam. Definitely wanted to take them around India, Nepal, uh, all these places we knew we had to take them, but we did them at a time where it suited us, where it was convenient, where it was affordable in that it was a short hot flight that cost us not much. Right? We, wouldn't, we wouldn't fly around the world and then back again. You know, we do it in some sort of order that, that made sense. So at one point we ended up in a little village in the far north of Romania and we were there on and off actually for three years, which totally came about by chance because we were in India and our visa was about to expire. We, we we had to get out of India. And our ticket out of India was actually to Kathmandu. And the flight was the day after the earthquake in Kathmandu. Oh. So the airport was shut. The flight was cancelled. Luckily, we got our refund. But we're left with, like, what do we do? We, we can't, we've got to get out of India. So what we did was we actually flew back to London, where we went and stayed with really good friends of ours who are also homeschoolers. Um, and just so by some miracle we had this email from this guy in Romania saying will you come to Romania I want you to help me promote my business in Romania he had a hotel and he had a a thing called working travel travel it's a bit like work away so mm-hmm. he, he invited us to Romania and we were like oh Dracula bears kids would like that so yeah we went to <laughs> we went to far north Romania and we ended up staying there for three years on and off we, we rented a little farm cottage it was the most beautiful old place And it was so, so cheap. We could afford to rent that year round. And we'd spend our winters there skiing just up the road. And they have all these wonderful (laughs) traditions in Romania. It was like the land where time stood still. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, Romania is actually quite a good base for hopping to um, Asia or Europe or the Middle East. It's it's kind of in a really good location. It's it's very cheap, for instance, to fly from Bucharest to Dubai. And from Mm -hmm. Dubai, you can get to Kathmandu, Bangkok, you know, Sri Lanka, London. It's a nice central sort of place to be. Um, so yeah, while we were there, we, we plot these, um, we go off for maybe three months, six months. So say we wanted to go to Nepal, we'd just, we'd go for three months because the visa was three months. Same with Vietnam, the visa is three months. So we'd stay three months. Mm-hmm. If we wanted to go back into the country, we'd go out. At one point we were in Vietnam for three months. Then we went to Singapore for Christmas. Then we went back to Vietnam for another three months because we could renew the visa that way. And we'd kind of got our feet under the table, lovely little town called Hoi An. Um, we'd kind of made friends there with some expats and some other traveling families. So we, we went back there for another three months and hung out. Um, it, it, it just, we did whatever suited us. Mm-hmm. So you end up in somewhere like Nepal, you've got a three month visa. The Everest track takes, we, we took three weeks over it. We took it nice and slow. Uh, and then you travel around Nepal for the remaining time and just do whatever you want to do. And then towards the end of that three months, you think about, well, where should we go next? What's easy? What's affordable? Uh, just do it like that. We made it up as we went along. There was never any plan. 
Wow. How, how much concern while you're dra- while you're traveling, you're kind of going to, to new places, you know, safety, you have your children, the language is different, you know, did it, did a lot of complications play in and how did you guys, you know, work through that or, you know, are, is my question off base from the start? No, well, yes. I, I mean, I, I suffer quite badly from anxiety sometimes mm-hmm. and um, yeah, there's those nights where I lay in bed worrying particularly when we were in Nepal and the whole hotel was shaking with the aftershocks. That was like a year later. That was yeah, a year, a year yeah, after the big one and everything was tumbling down. You know, it was, there was no clean water. The kids were sick, not badly sick, thankfully. Um, yeah, I, I do worry about stuff, but we, we toned it down significantly to the first time my husband and I did it. The first time we did it, we'd happily travel on the roof of a bus around India. You know, we'd, we'd take every risk going. Obviously with the kids, you are much more cautious and when we check in before we agree to buy nights in a hotel or guest house or whatever, I'll look at it and I'll look for every possible hazard. Because yeah. when my elder one, I think he was two, and we were staying in a hotel in Sydney, it was a, a nice hotel, a five star. And he, he was just toddling and he pulled himself up on a glass topped uh, side table, like a bedside table. And the glass wasn't attached and it slid off and it hit him in the face. Now, luckily he wasn't hurt. But you wouldn't expect that in a five-star hotel, something that dangerous. So when we're staying in little guest houses that could be as cheap as $12 a night, I go in there first and I look for any possible hazard. It might be a hard step that could bump the heads on or a window they could fall out of or somewhere where mosquitoes could get in or anything like that. I do a mummy risk assessment before I agree to put my kids anywhere. And I'm really, really much more cautious with that than anyone else I know. Yeah, um, you know, Errol and I ran into that when we were in Barcelona when our uh, yeah. a year year and a half year old uh, discovered the bidet. We almost drowned. Oh, it was kind of like no. a reverse danger. You know? There were also some very like low things in yes. the hotel that were just right at toddler level. Very surprised. Very surprising. They would be yeah. there. Um, so yeah, we can t- we can t- so when you when you do that, you do your risk assessment and then. Did you try to modify things or just say, nope, we're not staying here? It's hard. No, you just arrived yeah. and you're in a new country without speaking the language. And Well, you, you say about speaking the language, we've never encountered a language barrier anywhere other than in the village in Romania because it was mostly old people. All the young people speak English in Romania. But in the yeah. village, it was just the old folks doing the farming. And we have never, ever encountered a language barrier anywhere. Everyone speaks English other than probably the parts of the world that Americans visit the most, which is Central and South America, where the common language is Spanish, not English. And there, yes, yes, you will need to learn a bit of Spanish. But this side of the world, Asia, Australia, Europe, English is fine everywhere, I think. Oh, China. China was fun with English. (laughs) But that was 20-odd years ago, and I think today it would be very different. I think today a lot of people in China would speak English. But the first time we went, yeah, the first time we went, we were like pointing to words in phrase books, chicken. And then literally bought a whole a whole chicken with a head on. Yeah. So so you talked about you know you've got you've got these you obviously have your technology that you're traveling with so you're homeschooling with that and then you have these workbooks and you're talking about your son who reads a lot. I'm seeing I'm I'm seeing in my mind like you're traveling from place to place and you have these books. Like I know this is probably a very silly question, but the mom in me wants to know, like how did you get that shipped? Like you can't just go to a store in Vietnam and buy Percy Jackson. Like how did how do you get that stuff? <laughs> so that you can keep oh, going. Okay. Uh, Amazon, Kindle. The, Easy. The digital route. You keep you keep a, Did yeah. you ever have to do yeah, like physical workbooks? Did you ever have to Yes, no, no, yeah, the physical. The, so the physical book, workbooks, we took a couple with us from Australia. 
I remember we managed to buy some in Sri Lanka that were in English because the kids there do school in English. And Mm -hmm. then we're in London within months. So I bought a few more. And we were actually in London for 10 months. So we probably bought quite a lot in that period. Mm, And then the next time we took off, we would have just taken a couple with us. And there's always, there's always Amazon. In most places, there's Amazon. But um, yeah, it was always, we were dipping back to London often. We'd be Mm. in London most summers and we'd grab something there if we felt we needed to. As they got older, I mean, once they're, writing and reading you don't need to do that anymore they're you know this is just when they're beginning when they're practicing how to hold a pen and you know write things uh once they're older you don't need to do that at all they just had a notebook and they they still hated writing I told you before they hated writing They (laughs) they hated writing until probably about two years ago and then my son because my eldest son then discovered that he needed to write he started writing and he doesn't even think twice about it now but back then, when it was something that you had to force, and he didn't see the point, and he didn't want to do it, and why do I have to do that, Mum? He just did not see the point, and he didn't want to do it, and he didn't, mostly, other than when I made him do a workbook. But you've got yeah. to make those fun. You've, you've got to say, right, let's do this, this is going to be awesome, and, and we'll do some colouring, and here's some chocolate for afterwards. You've got to make it fun. <laughs> because, yeah, my kids, neither of them ever wanted to write anything. They'll type, and they both taught themselves to touch type probably about eight ten years old I can't touch type I make a living writing for the internet and I cannot touch type I type with one finger but they they both touch type they just taught themselves they used something like is it leap mat or dance mat something like that it's an online app thing mm. that is on the computer they taught themselves to touch type interesting uh, no, I totally, they need I, to yeah. Do. yeah yeah like I, I don't think I ever learned how to use uh 10 finger typing until I got to was a college when we were doing yeah. AOL instant messenger. And then it you was had, like a requirement. You now. had to. Yeah. You got to somehow up your word count. <laughs> so well, we so didn't you, have computers when I was a kid, not even in university. Right. We did not yeah. have computers. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're traveling, you're popping back and forth to the UK. So you're able to get some materials there and, and then you're planning these trips that are, you know, convenient, but also there's something to learn. So let's say you're planning your next location. Do you research beforehand and say like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And here's some things I especially want them to learn. And like, you know, before you go to Egypt, are you studying ancient Egypt and then, and then going and learning that, or is it more like ad hoc? Like we're going to arrive and then we're going to see what we can do and see what we can see. Or are you planning a lot of it in advance and trying to kind of like line it up for these educational opportunities? Well, I think that there's no point in taking kids to a place that they know absolutely nothing about because they won't really be interested. I think you've got to spark some interest before you go. So before we go anywhere, any country or any destination, I try and bring up uh, the subject, if you like. So before we went to Vietnam, we started looking at movies about Vietnam, the Vietnam War specifically. That was the big chunk of history that I wanted to get out of that and interestingly that the Vietnam War was on my son's history A-level which he absolutely mm. nailed because um, <laughs> so we went to all the the war sites you know the tunnels and um, the rock pile and the DMZ and we did all that but before we went we I mean they were older obviously I'm not going to do that with little kids it was pretty harrowing mm-hmm. um, we watched some of the Vietnam movies we found some stuff on YouTube. I remember before we went to Everest, we did a lot of stuff on acclimatization and uh, the physiology of acclimatization and why there's less oxygen up there. So that's physics. Um, And then as you walk, you go even deeper into that and you look at 
what they're growing and why are they growing that and why do they only eat potatoes up here and how do they get meat up here and um, you know why do these people look Tibetan because they are Tibetan but they migrated over the Himalayas and now they're the Sherpas um, all that stuff some of the, the detail comes as you travel but before we go somewhere we try and get the big ideas in there so with Egypt and Greece it came naturally through the boys interest uh, in those subjects I think all kids are interested in that aren't they is that mm-hmm. just my kids? No, um, ours are too. Ours are as well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fabulous for them to learn about that stuff. Yeah, they were. That was very much driven by their interest and seeing all the ancient sites. I mean, some people will go to Egypt and just go to the Red Sea and sit on a beach, mm-hmm. and none of us have got any interest whatsoever in doing that. You know, mm-hmm. we we did go we did go to the Red Sea to see what it was like. We were there two yeah. days. Um, we just wanted to see what it was like there. And then we left and we went back to Alexandria because that's where one of the seven wonders of the world was. And that's much more cool. So, you know, we, we don't we don't go to Thailand and go to the beach particularly. We, we go to Thailand because we want to see the ancient cities and the, yeah. the, the temples and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, the Khmer stuff, because the, yeah. it used to be the, the Khmer's that made Angkor Wat. They also built stuff in Thailand and Vietnam. And we talked about the migration of peoples and how the language and the cuisine and everything and how the borders have moved over time. And, you know, French into China and Pol Pot. And it, it, it just gives a really good world understanding, I think, to actually see it on the ground and be able to go. So if, if somebody says to my kids now, oh, um, something about well, anywhere they'll say oh yeah I've been there I remember that and the another subject that came up in English literature for both boys were they did some of the war poets the World War One, World War Two war poets Wilfred Owen people like that and they've been to the Somme they've stood in the trenches on the Somme you know they know what it's like there they know where it is a lot of people don't it just stuff like that I, I, it's like building blocks you just build stuff up and it builds and builds and builds and they just get there eventually, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And it puts a big picture together, I think. I had a, que- I had a question now that you've done it so long and it's a little off on our, our normal question route, but something that interests me. A lot of times, you know, people who move a lot eventually say, I want to, I want to find a house and sit down and not, and not move. And I want to have somewhere that I can sow my roots. Do you find with your kids that because they've been everywhere, they're kind of interested in just being in one place. Do have they, have they burned out on the interest of traveling now that they're older or are they like, no, I got to go and travel more because that's just what I do. Have you noticed some weird thing about that? I think they're pretty much happy with whatever life throws at them. Um, Mm. If, if I were to, well, I know because I have asked them, do you want to travel? Yes. But it's not like a burning urge. Like I have to travel. Mm -hmm. If, if we have the opportunity, then yes, we will. I mean, we're planning a few trips this year. Uh, but they're also very happy just doing our little thing here. They're perfectly happy to do that. And we gave them the option of, right, so where do you want to live? Because of the lockdowns and everything, we were stuck here in Australia. Where do you want to live? So the options were really the UK, Romania, somewhere in Asia or here. And they really didn't mind. They really had. They really weren't all that bothered. They tended towards the UK or Romania because they're both like cold winters. And obviously that's not something we get a lot of here. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, we ended up staying here for financial reasons. It was just too expensive to move back. And by that time, we had some pets. And we just didn't think it was fair to put the pets on the plane and shift them all the way back because you know, they could die and stuff like that. So we ended up staying here. And I think they're perfectly happy with this. I mean, our, we bought a farm. I don't think we've mentioned that. We bought a farm earlier this year. We've got five acres. 
And again, it's a complete change. It's something completely different in our lives. It's a completely different way of being, of living, Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of new skills to learn. So even though the kids are now officially beyond school age, they're, they're learning all sorts of cool stuff. Like we didn't know how to bottle feed lambs until a couple of weeks ago. You know, we didn't know so many things that we're learning about, um, you know, permaculture and animal husbandry. And, you know, we've got a horse and we've got ducks and geese and guinea fowl. And um, it's a whole new set of stuff they're learning. And I think that's that's a really cool thing in life is to try lots and lots of different things. And eventually you'll find one that you really like. And I'm quite lucky in that I actually like the farm and I like the traveling. I think the kids are the same. I think I think the kids are pretty much happy with, you know, whatever as as long as we weren't in a conventional setup as we were where dad was at work all the time, mum was at work, you know, all that sort of stuff, I don't think that would float their boats. Um but doing things a little bit differently, a little bit off the wall, I think suits us all much better. And at the moment we've we've managed to sort of piece our life together so that we all get to do what we enjoy. So I enjoy growing vegetables and fruit. My husband loves looking after the livestock. The kids love the, the animals as well. Mm-hmm. My husband's got um, casual work. He works out on the Great Barrier Reef, helping kids find Nemo. He loves it. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, he's off volunteering. My eldest son is off volunteering as well. They're doing a week picking up trash off the beaches mm-hmm. far north up here. And that, I mean, that's fantastic for them as well. I mean, what are the, how much is, he's done that since he was four. We, not while we were traveling, but when he was four, he did it. He's been doing it the last two, three years as well. Yeah. He's learning so much. It's not just picking up the trash. They're putting it into a database and they're trying to find out where this trash actually originates from. They look at the currents and they look at any little markings on the plastics to see, oh, what country did this come from? Um He's working with uh, the Aboriginal elders up there. He's working with marine biologists. He's working with all these conservation-minded people, plus a whole bunch of volunteers. Plus they're doing all the food for a large group of volunteers and the logistics of driving there and buses and trucks. It's it's a whole new set of learning. And again, it's just something different from which they can learn. Because if they'd just been in this one environment their whole lives, I feel like half of their knowledge would be missing, if you know what I mean. So. So a lot of what you're describing is like this intrinsic motivation, the the desire to learn and the things around and, and experience. You referenced earlier that you did homeschooling, but you also threw in the word of unschooling. And it seems like you've taken a lot of those unschooling principles and kind of applied them to your entire life, whether not just for your children, but it sounds like for you yourself and, and your husband as well. Was that a big uh, kind of change in your in your methodology over time as you guys were world schooling? Or has unschooling always been kind of a thing in the background for you? Well, I didn't know what unschooling was until mm. I was probably a year or two into this, you know, education outside school. I'd never heard of it, education outside school. Um, I kind of decided, right, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do unschooling. And unschooling has to be completely child-led. So for a while we tried it. It didn't really sit right with us because they were literally playing Minecraft all day, <laughs> all day. <laughs> and I, I, if I was going to leave them to be child-led, that was what was going to happen. So that kind of, um, no, that, that really didn't okay. really suit the way our family vibe. It might just be my kids that want to play Minecraft. All, they say that they play Minecraft all day and then they get sick of it and start doing other things, but I could not see any sign of that ever we, happening. We, we have um, heard that. We've heard that exact line. 
yeah. multiple times. They're just going to get bored with it. Trust us. And it's like three years. Yeah, later, they, like, no. they're still not bored with it. No, they, they just <laughs> they they just rebuilt the Vatican in in Minecraft. Mm. I, it's been three years. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. Well, one of our friends who is unschooled, he's building a Minecraft yeah. server at the moment. He's eighteen. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's cool. Maybe that will you know be his future. Um, yeah. Well, so I've, I've got nothing against it. It's just mm-hmm. I don't think for us it was really what we wanted to do. And I was never going to say, right, we're just going to sit here in London and you kids can decide what we're going to do because that's child led. I was going to say, right, we are now going to go to Nepal and you are going to go to Everest Base Camp because it'll be good for you. So, yeah, I did. You know, I took the reins. (laughs) They didn't decide to do all this stuff by themselves. But we did have this rule that every year um, for their birthdays, they could choose where they wanted to go. And this is where they chose Greece and Egypt. And actually, the third place they chose was Scotland, which was really interesting. I had no particular desire to go to Scotland, but that was what they chose. I'm not really sure why. I think it, they just had this romantic idea about kilts and bagpipes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, they're, from, they're from Australia. They saw Mel on, on the screen. They're they Welsh. Place. They're Welsh. <laughs> um, <laughs> they identify as Welsh. <laughs> I had a question. You know, okay, so we've got people listening and they have young kids and, you know, Going and selling most of your stuff and then going around the world is a big thing. The question that we have is, you know, we want to get out. We want to see more stuff. And sometimes maybe that's not going to other countries or going to the other side of the world, but maybe that's going across your state or going to a neighboring state. Do you have any like advice as like a world traveler to help people make those decisions, how, how to do it in the best way? Is there a methodology you have that you can impart to them? How can they save money? Because money tends to be the biggest issue with traveling. And, yeah. you know, one of the big things that's come out of the pandemic is the fact, fact that a lot of people can work from a distance now so that they have this, you know, the back of their minds, you know, you know, Ariel and I have talked about is, you know, what if we spend a month here or a month here, you know, is that something we can do now? Do you have any wisdom that you can impart onto those people who are holding the bag? It's not filled. There's no diapers in there, but they want to go. They want to do it. <laughs> well, I, my, my way to do it, which is different to many people's way, is to be as busy as possible. Okay. Because I think if you, it's what, what's called slow travel. It, it works out that you get more travel for your dollar in terms of time in a place, but you don't get as many experiences because you're just sitting still living life, which we have done. I said before, we spent a month in Antigua. We spent six months in Vietnam. Um, If you're sitting in one place, the first few days, you might see all the cool things to see. And then you just get deeper and deeper into uh, hanging out with the expats and the travelers and finding out where the markets are and discovering all the restaurants. You don't really have an awful lot to do after those first few days you've been sightseeing and you've been you've been swimming, you've climbed that mountain, you've taken the cooking class. Now what are you going to do for the rest of the month? Hmm. And I think kids get bored. This is I think this is where people run into difficulties with, oh, my child's bored, we need to find friends for them, we need to find groups to go and socialise and hang out. And I think the kids get bored because they're not doing anything. So this was why we we kept moving pretty fast. We did all the good stuff, and then we moved on. Okay. Um, other than in places where we just felt really comfortable to just be, and we didn't get bored. So we could spend months in London, because you can see something different in London every day. There's yeah. just so much in London, it's ridiculous. Uh, and we had a lot of friends there as well, so that does make it easier. But in places where you don't have a social group, you've got to keep busy, because otherwise you're just going to be staring at the walls. So my my way of doing it, which a lot of people disagree with, is we go fairly fast, fairly fast and hard, and we we see all the stuff. So you know, activities, sightseeing, 
the things you do in the place, we do them. We also do a lot of the um, wandering around, exploring, looking at this, looking at that, looking where the local people... We're not just going to the, the tourist spots. We're exploring everything else as well. But once you get past the point of things being new and interesting and different... I think you do. I get bored. I know the kids get bored. And what you end up doing then is just sitting in the house. Um, and then you start doing some more formal homeschooling or you start watching movies or you start playing computer games all day or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I would prefer to be busy. So, um, so in, in keeping that in your mind, you know, being busy and being active and moving a lot, you know, how do you balance the kids socializing and seeing people and, and seeing other kids and things of that nature? There's people all around you every day. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're kept in a box as they are in school. You know, every day you're talking to the woman in the restaurant or the the person sitting next to you on the bus or whatever. We, we were never ones to search out same age kids. That was never part of our agenda. We never did that. The kids didn't want to do that. We, on the rare occasion when it did happen, they, they felt kind of it was forced and kind of they'd all been thrown together and now you must get on. And they were like, oh, I don't really want to do this. Um, they didn't enjoy that. I don't enjoy that. I, we did meet a few people by chance that, you know, in normal, the normal way that people meet people uh, mm-hmm. that became great friends. But for a family to make friends with another family, the whole family has to click. And that's a really rare thing, I think. So I can only think of maybe two or three families that we've remained, we became good friends with and we've stayed good friends with because all four of us, it was all families of four, coincidentally. All four of us really did get on and enjoyed spending time together. That is really rare, I think. Uh, one's in London. One, one is still traveling, actually. Very cool. Um, so, yeah, and then the kids have got a lot of online interaction as well. So if they've made a friend in Thailand and we're now, still in, we're now in Cambodia, they're still chatting to that friend on whatever Instagram. They seem to talk to people the most as they got older, not when they were little. Instagram seems to be how they chat, or Discord, they chat to people. Uh, they were also in um, a thing called Minecraft, Minecraft Homeschool. Have you come across that? It used to be called Minecraft Homeschool. It's called something else now. Uh, but think, that was, yeah. No, I think I've, I've heard of it. Yeah, I think it was mentioned on another interview that we had with, uh, about specifically about Minecraft. Yeah, um, it, it's changed names now. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. It's when they were quite small. So when we were in Romania in those long winters, uh, they were doing the Minecraft homeschool at that point. And I was always hearing the house was always filled with all these little voices. And it was mostly Americans um, all playing this Minecraft server thing that they were doing. It was there was little educational things in it. It was, it was quite cool. Um, stuff like that. They they're always hanging out with people online still today. Most of their social interaction is online. My elder son actually has a job. So he's out a few days a week part time. And then we're not really very sociable people, if I'm going to be honest. We're at least three of us are introverts and we like our own space. Not really, not really one to want to go partying or anything like that. Not not really our jam. So we were just happy doing our thing, doing things because we enjoyed them, not because we, we did we never needed a group to go anywhere. Yep. You know, on the rare occasion where we did go somewhere with a group, we kind of found it annoying because we had to do things that other people the way other people wanted to do things if you know what I mean so mm-hmm. we've we've we did actually my son and I actually did a group tour recently we did a group tour to Bhutan uh, it was only a small group about 12 of us and we were so used to independent travel that being with a group we found it really quite frustrating it was 
pleasant socially. If some of them were nice and we got on really well with some of them. Others were not, they were really annoying, didn't like being around them. And we had to not travel the way we wanted to travel because we were waiting for somebody else to go shopping or something, you know. And we found mm. that quite annoying. But with being Bhutan, you've got to go with a the group. There's, it's very difficult to go to Bhutan. You have to have a guide and a tour. So that was the best possible, you know, that was the way we were going to have to see Bhutan. Uh, yeah, we're just not we're, we're just not like that. We're not really looking for much social interaction, to be honest. I mean, if if we were on say a beach and the kids were running around in the evening, we'd normally be sitting at a restaurant in the evening having dinner, and the kids would be running around. If there were some other kids, they'd probably join in a game of football or whatever. But mm-hmm. that's that's not making friends. That's just hanging out with somebody for a few hours because the next day we're gone. You don't you don't make friends unless you're with somebody for weeks or months usually, and that's that's the way we came to be friends with these families I've mentioned. We just happened to be in the same place for quite an extended period and long enough to get to know each other, you know, because you don't make friends on the spot like that, do you? But it wasn't, it wasn't an issue. Our, our kids, my, my six-year-old can, you know, oh, yeah. find somebody and say, this she, is my best friend. She, she can. She's my yeah. favorite she's person ever. And, and we say, oh, what's her name? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you, you've done all the traveling and yeah. now you've had to come back and set these roots down and, I w- I'm really curious about what that adjustment was like for your kids. Are, were they able to, you know, kind of settle right back into mm-hmm. being in one place? And, you know, you said your older son has a job. You know, how did they how did they adjust to kind of quitting the nomadic lifestyle and and being rooted in, in all of that? Was that easy, hard for them? Oh, or They were much better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I was in bits. I absolutely hated it. I never wanted to come back here and to come back here and then have the gate slam behind us and know you're not getting out for two years. That was horrendous. The kids were fine because they <laughs> they came back. They didn't feel as if they were coming back to anything because they didn't really remember the before. Yeah. Really. Because so we left when they were six and eight. They didn't really remember much of it. They remembered the house. Uh they there was nothing really that they were coming back to. So it was like building a new life again. They like We had to buy them all new bedroom furniture. We bought them all new computers, which they were thrilled with because they'd never had a big computer set up. You know, I'm sitting here <laughs> in my son's. He's got the full YouTubing thing with two screens and absolutely thrilled with all that. Desks and chairs and they loved all that. First time they'd ever had their own bedroom. Um, they, they were absolutely fine. Um, I don't think they really missed the travel particularly because they were just so thrilled to have more time to spend online rather than mum dragging them up, up a mountain every five minutes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but we were, we were, um, we were, we were confined to the house at first because it was in, it was, it wasn't a massively hard lockdown, but we, we weren't allowed to go more than five kilometers. Yeah. Um, we'd go out on our bikes once a day and that was about it. Huh. And we were just bored because we were so used to, their education coming from mostly from being really, really active and doing things and experiencing things. And all of a sudden we're staring at four walls. And that was the point at which I thought, right, I'm going to put you in an online school just to have some interaction with other humans, which actually I wasn't thrilled with the online school. It wasn't fantastic, but it was a great, it was a great learning experience for them in that they had these fantastic relationships with their teachers. The teachers were usually fairly young, that really makes a difference don't think it really does because some of their best friends are older than me um yeah so they were usually in really small groups so my eldest son was one-to-one with his 
history and English literature teacher for two or three years. And they had this really amazing relationship. They, they got on really well. They were both total history nerds. Her degree was actually mm-hmm. in ancient history. She loved ancient Egypt. So they just nerded out together. And he finished off the last year of his A-levels. He was making uh, a Viking sword. He built himself a forge out here. And his history project mm-hmm. was to make a Viking, is it like a Viking dagger using materials and you know equipment that was relevant to the era and he researched wow. this dagger and that was a whole term of history a level with with his teacher who was thrilled by this because she does all the um medieval recreation battle type stuff she loved all this stuff and so did he and they were so excited and he got to build the forge but what sparked that i think was when we we're in nepal um he did a class with a local craftsman and he made a nepali a gurkha knife a cookery mm-hmm. with with very simple tools, you know, it's just in this old guy's back garden. He hammered it and he made this amazing knife. But that kind of sparked that idea, which he took then into his history. And I've forgotten what we were talking about. We were talking about adapting back to normal life. Yeah. Um, it, they were fine. I, I felt like I was just trapped in a box with my wings clipped. And it wasn't just that. It was the fact that the um, the, the global situation destroyed my business. It was within mm-hmm. that January, February, March, I just got down to about 20% of my normal income. So my income was gone. My business was destroyed. Mm-hmm. I was away from my family. My mother was very sick. I couldn't go home. Um, I, I couldn't be me anymore. Whereas the kids were fine. They didn't care. <laughs> they were absolutely fine. And because of the situation with this, we've got no workers anywhere in the world. He just fell into a job really easily. He really enjoys it. He's He's doing it for fun, really, and for a little bit of a social outlet a little bit of a break a couple of days a week um he's also got his volunteering he loves doing his volunteering i would hate it because it's all camping and uh, doing that snakes um he loves it and the other one is more than happy doing his youtubing and looking after his cats and and then we're getting a puppy next week which we're quite excited about so no it's all good really (laughs) um so you know as an introvert and you have your own space now and everything we we thank you for welcoming us into your space and yeah, talking about this. Can you tell us a little bit more about your digital space that you've been maintaining for years? Oh, well, the, the big website is called World Travel Family. I say that slowly because people never hear me. World Travel Family. We'll put it in the show notes too. It's worldtravelfamily.com. There are other pirated versions around. The only one that is actually mine is the .com, which is really frustrating, but people copy websites in their entirety. They just steal them. And I know there's several versions floating around the internet at the moment, which I'm trying to get taken down. But if it's .com, it's mine. Uh, We also have one called Homeschool Group Hug. We have one called Tropical Food Garden, which is about the farming project here and gardening and how to permaculture, how to grow stuff. Uh, we have World Travel Chef. We have quite a lot of websites, but the big one is World Travel Family. That's the one that's um, funded us as we've travelled, basically. And it covers most of the places we've been, uh, travel tips, how-tos, a lot of stuff on world schooling, homeschooling as you travel. And there's also a lot of information on blogging, how to become a blogger, how to make money as a blogger, Um technical stuff you know seo and things like that uh, so that's all on world travel family we're on we're on instagram and all the socials but we don't really bother with those very much anymore it's not really <laughs> what i like to do it's mostly about the website we don't do youtube um 
yeah, that's it. I've been building that for the last, I think, 11 years. It's, wow. it's, a, wow. it's a very large website. So if families want to get out and travel more, or maybe even do a gap year or something and travel around the world, then they can come to your site and you'll give them your tips and tricks and where to go in certain countries. Is, is that oh, the absolutely. kind of information they can expect? Absolutely. So if, if you just search um, World Travel Family, you can search it as three words or three words shoved together, one long word. World Travel Family, Family Gap Year. We've actually got four or five posts just about Family Gap Years. And that will take you off to other posts about particular destinations, particular countries, how to, you know, plan the routes and money and all these different details are on there. We don't have much coverage of Central and South America, only I think El Salvador and Guatemala, but, but we've got a lot of Asia. We're very Asia heavy and a fair bit of Europe. But yeah, and a lot of London, obviously, because that's where we lived for a long time. Um, yeah. It's it's my baby. It's the third child, and it's, it's what pays the bills. It's it's back up to about fifty percent of normal now as the travel is coming back in, Good. starting to come back up. Finally, yay! Yeah, well, you're I definitely know. giving me the travel itch just yeah, by talking about it. I, oh, I hope well, so. I do hope so. <laughs> well, thank you just so much for you know joining us and, it, and inviting us in and letting us know about your world schooling adventures. I think it's it's fascinating and it's something that I think. It seems so unattainable to just read about it, but to hear you talk about it and in the practical terms and in all of the wonderful experiences that your children had, um, I just think it's neat. It's just really, really great to, to hear from the ground. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I like to talk. I may be an introvert, but I do like to talk. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today and making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media. Join our Homeschool Together podcast group on Facebook and find us at Homeschool Together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time. Happy homeschooling!